I think no one should ever be afraid of reaching out to anybody, even if it's just to say hi and, and asking for advice, because I think people more often than not are more than happy to, to, to give their time to answer any questions or anything like that. So I really think it's um, you've got nothing to lose if you know if you reach out and people don't respond, then they don't respond, then you've not lost anything. Hello and welcome to Meeting Musos, the podcast where I chat to professional musicians about their lives and their career paths in music. I'm Mark McDonald, a musical director and pianist, and in this episode I sit down with the Olivier Award-nominated orchestrator Tom Curran. Tom has recently had huge success as an orchestrator for the smash hit musical Six, which has productions all over the world, including in the West End, Broadway and in Australia. His work on the show earned him an Olivier Award nomination in 2019. He's currently working on a new musical called Identical, which is scheduled to open later in 2021. Other orchestration credits include the UK tour of The Sound of Music and the West End production of Funny Girl. He's also written orchestrations for Mark Almond and Sophie Ellis-Bexter, as well as collaborations with Jeff Wayne on his arena tour of The War of the Worlds. During our conversation, we covered everything from getting started in a career as an arranger and orchestrator, the importance of getting to know other people in the industry, and dealing with the specific demands of different styles and different scales of productions. Enjoy the conversation. Uh, thanks so much for agreeing to do this. I'm really interested to talk to you about your career and specifically your your work as an orchestrator. Um, it seems like a really niche area of the music industry. Um so I think a good place to start is if you could you just talk us through a little bit about what a typical day is like for you as you know a professional freelance working musician slash orchestrator. Sure, yeah. I mean, the first thing to say probably is that no no two days are quite the same, um, and that's certainly true between projects. I mean, um, a typical day would be sitting at the computer and uh, sorting out music, whether that's um, the notation of music or whether that's um, in a sequencer um, like Logic or Cubase or or one of those. So yeah, it, it, it's a really varied. Um, uh, I find myself doing lots of different things, kind of under the umbrella of orchestrating slash arranging. Um, I, I also think of it as a kind of a subset of composing. Really, I mean, a lot a lot of the kind of the ideas of composition feed their way through into pretty much everything that I end up having to do. Um, and there's also a varying degree of levels of what I have to do as well, if that makes sense. So sometimes it's it's dealing with the kind of the whole picture and other times it's dealing with a specific part of a project or a specific part of um, the music and how, how and how that's made up. No two days are the, exactly the same, I'd say. Yeah, you mentioned composition there um, and I did a little bit of research before uh, chatting to you and, and discovered <laughs> that you had won the BBC Young Composer competition quite a few years back, is that right? Yeah, gosh, quite a few years back now. I think it was 2008, I think. Um, so it was a, as a junior, really. So I, I was, I've always been interested in composition and um, writing my own music. It, even when I was having piano lessons, when I was, um, when I was really young, I, I, I know that my teachers found it very difficult to find music that I 
was interested in playing because half the time I just want to sit at the piano and make up my own. So I, I now looking back, there, there's been a few piano teachers along the way who have, um, I remember them saying to my parents, you know, he doesn't want to play anything that I'm trying to give him. Um, <laughs> I'm at a loss of at what to do. And, and it's, I think probably because I was more interested in, in making up my own stuff. Um, so I've always had an interest in composition uh, and it was actually my uh, music teacher at um, secondary school who really um, was a big influence in my, I guess, my ultimate decision to pursue music as a career. I mean, um, a lady called Janet McLeod, she was um, an absolutely amazing music teacher, uh, tutor, mentor, and she was the one who actually um, suggested suggested that I entered a piece that I was writing for for, for coursework to this um, Inspire competition. It's called BBC Inspire Young Composers Competition, and I was like, oh, I don't know, like it's you know, there's going to be there are going to be really good people there, and you know, I've got no chance. But she was really persistent that I should consider entering, and that's exactly what I did. And yeah, I was very unexpectedly. Um, uh, it was it was very unexpected that I would even um, my piece would even be considered for, um, for you know for a prize and it and it yeah and it was and 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 I think that was a moment where I was like okay you know maybe music could be a viable thing for me to do um, and it's all thanks to um, you know to Janet and people like her that have really kind of you know they've they've really believed in me from from a young age and that's given me the confidence to to kind of pursue my you know passion and dream and stuff. Yeah, what a great way to you know have have what you're doing validated at a young age as well to win a competition like that what was the what was the prize that was the performance of your piece yeah so the prize the prize was to then compose a piece for the next year's um prom series and they did they do a lot of these you know they obviously have the, the ones at the royal albert hall and they do a kind of a, a, a secondary set of proms either at the royal college of music or um at, you know wigmore hall or somewhere so so the prize was to compose a piece um almost like a commission. So we were given the specific parameters, um, you know, to compose for the forces, the length, um, uh, and we had to choose a subject matter. So yeah, the, the prize was to compose a piece for the, for the subsequent year. And it was performed, um, performed by the Aurora Orchestra, who are the, some, the most amazing, um, collection of musicians. Um, and now looking back at that experience, like how lucky was I to even, I mean, how old was I? N- not, not, not too old, but to, to have the experience to work with um that orchestra and their conducting nicholas collin like it um an, an amazing experience and i'm probably at the time i i didn't realize how big a deal that really was so yeah, yeah that was an amazing opportunity to to get to compose for those for those players yeah and so the the piece that you submitted for the the competition initially did, were you did you have any training in composition at that stage or was that sort of experimental just writing down playing what, what you enjoyed yeah, it it was just that. It was experimenting. I mean, I've uh I used to love messing around on Sibelius, even from back from like version three or four. I, I just remember um at school and at home just kind of, you know, um putting ideas down, playing with the sounds. Um so yeah, I'd always just had this interest and so um it was really just self taught at that stage. Um and as I say, it was a GCSE composition effectively um that that my teacher just said oh yeah you should submit this so yeah I, 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 um at that point I had no no formal training in, in that at all so it was as I say a really big surprise to even be um considered for a prize 
Um, so what about these days? Where do you where do you do most of your work? Do you tend to work from home? Have you got a, a dedicated uh, working environment that you get everything done in? Yeah, I'd say um, 90% of the time I'm at home working. Um, I've got a kind of a home office, so that's that's where I spend most of my time um, these days. Uh, and then the other kind of 10% is either on site, either at a theatre or at a recording session or, um, you know, on uh, on the job or on wherever wherever the music is happening, I guess. But yeah, the most of the time I'm, I'm at home uh, and I'm quite happy to be at home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and do you tend to sit at the piano to when, you, when you're orchestrating or, or coming up with ideas or is it all done within software um it depends if if it's if it's a piano led thing that i'm working on then i'll definitely have um you know i haven't got a, a real piano here unfortunately but but my you know my keyboard i'd have that in front of me um i just find that to working out piano parts is easier when you've got the real thing in front of you um and then it varies between either being logical um, or Sibelius, depending on the needs of the project. Um, but I just try to reconfigure my room, actually, so that I've now got the keyboard in front of the computer, if that makes sense, to try and... I've experimented a few times um, over the years of, of, of different ways of having the room set up, and sometimes I've found it's useful to have the keyboard right there, and other times, if it's if it's not so necessary, I'll move it away and just have the, have the computer. But I've kind of gone back to having a full-size keyboard in front of my desk which I'm, I'm enjoying at the moment for sure uh, you mentioned a couple of times that you even from a young age you were working in Sibelius and it sounds like that's still where, where you work is that are you able to do that across every project or have you ever come across something where you know part of it's been done in finale do you do you work across different platforms or do you try to stick within one yeah I, I think if it if it if it's going to be the default option for me i would i would go to sibelius just because that's because of what that's because what i've grown up with and what i'm most comfortable using now but yeah there have been um uh times in the past where projects have either been on finale or um they need to stay in finale so in that case yeah i'd have to use finale um and uh as i say my my knowledge in sibelius is is far superior so I, i try and steer towards trying to do stuff in Sibelius but there have been times where uh, you can convert them and you can convert the files and stuff but but yeah generally it's uh sticking with Sibelius yeah it's it does still seem to be the the go-to thing in the UK doesn't it I know I know the Americans are still very big on Finale but um Sibelius from my experience is still the predominant piece of software for notation in this country yeah I think that's right yeah um so what was your route into orchestration i know you had an interest as in composition when you were young and theater specifically was theater always an interest how how did you end up where you are today yeah so theater has always been a huge interest and actually when i was when i was young i was obsessed with um the kind of technical theater the stage lighting and 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 sound and i I am now still obsessed with it actually when i go into a theater i'm my head goes straight up and looks in the in the <laughs> ceiling because I just love all that stuff. So I was really, really into kind of the technical theatre. And actually, I was going to pursue a career in technical theatre. Oh, wow. Um, this is going back, you know, quite a few years now before I did my degree and stuff. But um, yeah, I've always had this interest and um, passion for for theatre and the collaborative art form. I think that's probably the, the one thing for me that I now, um, I feel so fortunate to be able to work in theatre predominantly as a as a musician um and combine my love of um the theatre live music um 
and I'd, I'd say technical theatre, but I mean, I, I actually find that now that technology and music is 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 progressing faster and faster and further, and it, especially in the theatre, there's there's so much music technology now involved in 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 you know in in these productions. So I kind of feel like I found my happy medium of being involved in theatre, but also have the the music tech stuff um, alongside the the kind of straight music. So yeah, yeah. I've always been interested in in theatre. Yeah. Uh, in your role as an orchestrator, then, do you, are you able to sort of dip your toe into having a say in things like sound design, for example? Is that something that comes under the same umbrella for your job? Yeah, it depends on the project, um, I'd say, that if it's, um, if if the sound of the score um, is more kind of modern or electronic or has like kind of sound design elements within it, then yes, the, the collaboration between um, myself and the sound designer is 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 a very strong one um in other instances it's it's more you know you're you're trusting the sound designer that they're doing their job to mic instruments you know as as they would be and they obviously have a huge amount of experience and much more than an orchestrator or an arranger would in terms of the best mic position for the cello or the flute or whatever the instrument is but um I found in my experience recently that that sound design and, and orchestration are very much interconnected um, yeah. and linked yeah. um, in quite a deep way. So, what's your what's your process then? Take us through the whole thing from when you your approach to be involved in a project and you receive the music from a composer or wherever it comes from. Is it are you giving notation? Are you giving tracks to listen to? And then what's the process for you from receiving that, taking it right through to say the press night performance of something? Yeah, it's a great question and um, quite a complicated one as well. I think it, de- it also depends on the, on the project. Yeah. And um, as, as you know, that there's a whole range of um, kind of source materials for, for especially for theatre um, shows and theatre composers. Some are very competent at doing it all themselves. They can notate it all and, um, you know, and they have very clear ideas. Some are less confident of that, but they have the ideas and, and, and they're strong and they can record them and they can use um, voice memos and, and that kind of thing. And others can produce fully fledged mock-ups of exactly what they want to hear. It just varies um, uh, from project to project. But I'd say most common is is some kind of piano vocal score. Um, however, um rudimentary that is whether it's just the the lyrics the the melody and the chords and a very very um simple piano accompaniment and other times it's a fully fledged piano vocal with lots of osseous staves with with all the additional information that the composer hears uh, and wants to be um kind of carried carried forwards um and actually i'm finding a lot now that producers more than um perhaps in the past want to hear what something's going to sound like before they um, either commit to it or before they um, progress any further. They kind of want to hear what, what, what they're, um, what they're going to get before it's even happened. So I've, I've had a few projects um, in the past year, well, actually probably longer now because we've, we've all been off not doing very much for, for a while, but, but people wanting to hear mock-ups or realized, um, uh, versions of what the end, end result is going to be. So in that instance, it would be starting in a sequencer like Logic rather than um, in Sibelius and, and the notation. Yeah. And is that almost a bit like a, an audition process? Do they want to hear what you're going to produce before they commit to you or or before they commit to your maybe 
your idea of what sort of lineup you're going to have in the band? Yeah, it, it, that um, that's also um, it varies. Sometimes it is that it's, it's auditioning the person. Um, I've had a few of those where I've had to pitch for for jobs, and um, I guess a, an easy way for them to 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 hear what you might be able to do is is for you to produce a realised mock up of of a, a section of music. And other times it is it is exactly about lineup and style and choice of. Um, groove and and just hearing what a song would sound like um, with more than just the piano and the voice. Um, so yeah, I've I've done a few of those where kind of adding adding uh, drum tracks or guitar um, groove tracks and stuff yeah. um, to try and work out the instrumentation choices and and what works and what is not so successful. And do you find that you're able to be quite uh, specific about what you want in a lineup, or do you find that you come up against different ideas from different composers or different creative teams how does that balance work in in determining what the final lineup's going to be i assume producers have a say in it as well with budgets and um all the rest of it yeah it's all it's always a um it's always a balance of 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 um resources and money and and all that kind of thing i'd say that i as an orchestrator you would always get a a say in 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 what the instrumentation is, but the number might be set or you might have to fight for um, the number of players. Um, and I've had that a few times as well, where you've had to go, I really think we should have this, that and the other. And and um, and then it's like, well, the, the budget is only um, for this number of players. And at, at the end of the day, the th- it's, a, it's a business. And so it has to make financial sense in terms of the, the number of players um and the length of their contract and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, um, it's always a battle, but, but in terms of the actual instrumentation, um, what, what instruments are chosen, then that would, that would certainly be down to the orchestrator. Um, and actually recently I've had, I've had something where I've had to, I've had to give opinions about the size of a string section. This is actually not for theater, but for something else where, um, there are kind of four options of, of string section lineup size and, it's kind of working out what 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 the material actually needs it to be you know if it if it could um depending on whether it's a more chamber sound or whether it's a kind of a, f- a full orchestral sound you you might be able to get away with a reduced um string section that actually makes it actually makes more sense in the context of the music that's been written yeah. um but it is interesting i i i think the one of the reasons why i love theatre as well is is because of the limitation in the number of players and and i think this is this is in general as well in in, in music. I think it, or actually in life, if you, if you if you've got limitations imposed upon you, sometimes it's a more a more satisfying and a creative process to to to, to find a solution to the problem. Um, so if there's only you know there's if there's only nine musicians, how, how do you make? Um, it's obviously going to be a different orchestration than if you had twice as many. But how, but how do you make it work for that number of players? And and um, I love that 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 challenge and that jigsaw to put it all back together. Yeah. And I guess that allows you to completely reimagine something because rather than making nine players sound like 24, you can maybe strip it back and find something completely new within it. Absolutely. I think there's, um, I think a score, a score can, can um, obtain its kind of identity in terms of its, uh, the, the, the sound world that's used because of the limitation of the number of players. So yeah, you're right. There, there, there's two thoughts. There's two schools about it. You, you could either 
make nine players sound like more and sometimes you you want nine players to sound like nine chamber players and 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 they're they're equally valid approaches it just again it depends on the on on the needs of the project and and the kind of the the vision of the creative team and 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 the direction that the, that the piece is going in yeah i think you can do you can do all kinds of clever things with keyboards and sometimes it's sometimes it's it's needed and good and sometimes it's probably not you know not not needed for the for the piece yeah something that ties in with the the same sort of idea is the use of uh pre-recorded material now which is you know more and more common in musical theater um click tracks and all that sort of thing how much of a consideration is that for you when you're writing something yeah it's um it's definitely a discussion that that that's ha- that happens early on in the process whether whether the use of tracks um is stylistically appropriate or whether it's um if it's wanted at all um so for as an example a show like six which is very kind of electronic and um it's meant to sound a very certain way and it's it's very specific stylistically um in terms of what it's trying to achieve um a, a show like that um you know tracks are very important and kind of a fundamental part of the sound of that show because there's there's elements that you just can't produce live or you could but but then you you wouldn't you'd have no consistency in in how that sound is then produced and i think the key with that show is the is the um the consistency and the and the the the, the cleanness the cleanness of the electronic sound and that's kind of what gives that show its its specific um sound i guess yeah. Um, and a show like that where I guess sonically you're trying to recreate the sound of a pop concert or a record even. Yeah. Um and in those settings that's that's where a lot of these sounds come from. It is it is track based, isn't it? And it's Absolutely it's, from from there's a lot of um recording and production techniques, um, as you say, that are very specific to to, to this kind of idiom and this sound. So yeah, it, it it was very clear from from the outset that we needed to use the tracks um, as a kind of uh, as a fundamental part of the process, but also as a very important um, framework for, for for all the production and the um, the the kind of sound design and um, effects and 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 rhythm tracks that you can't play live effectively it's 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 all kind of but the way i would think about it is not as two separate things it's not kind of like the live band and then the then the tracked elements they're they're basically the same thing and they they work together and i think of the whole thing as just one sound world um that that all fits together yeah we talked a bit about the you know the restrictions with budgets and that sort of thing and also the ability to be able to do the work that you do anywhere really from home uh Mm. With so many people these days being able to write, record and produce music so easily, um, you know, at home and, and these production budgets becoming ever tighter. How do you see the role of the orchestrator changing over the, the years ahead? Do you, do you think there's going to be as much demand for orchestrators in the traditional sense that we're used to in the theatre? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think I think the job will, will certainly evolve um probably as a as a lot of jobs are going to evolve um in in the years in the years ahead but i do think that the the idea of a music producer um will become um 
more integrated into the kind of theatre ecosystem. Um, I think there's 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 a lot of shows now that that have either music producers or um, music production elements that have, that are kind of um, that are part of the fabric of the show, and that's either a separate person or that's that is the, the orchestrator. Um, but I think it's it's wearing a different hat to someone who was working, you know, even even 10, 15 years ago. It's it's the job has evolved. Um, and I'm seeing now that it's it's um, the music technology and how that integrates with with the workflow, I think, is uh, it's really exciting. Uh, but I think it is something that um, that we're going to see more and more of um, as as the kind of sound of shows evolves and develops and um who knows it may even go back the other way we may even find ourselves in in 10 years time with with none of the electronics and it goes back to being um all orchestral and 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 chamber stuff but i think perhaps it's going to be a a a hybrid of the two um, which is really exciting yeah absolutely um it's quite common these days for the musical supervisor for example to also be the orchestrator or the arranger or at least be involved in that capacity. Is that something that, that you see yourself doing? Have you, do you have any interest in, in working in the, you know, the more day-to-day stuff of MDing show or supervising the show, but also being creatively involved with the orchestrations? Yeah, I think you're right. There, there is, um, there are people who can do all of that and, and they, um, they wear multiple hats on a production and then there's others where it's, it is split out into individual people doing those individual roles um i i decided to move away from mding um quite early on um after i kind of graduated from from university i just made this this um this decision to um pursue the creation side um i mean i'd md things before and i mean i can do it it's just that i don't I think for me, I don't enjoy the process of being in a rehearsal room every day. I, I get much more enjoyment out of, um, creating content, um, kind of at the, at the foundation stage for other people to interpret. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, at, at this moment in time, I'm very happy kind of doing, um, this and not having to have the responsibilities of a, of a music director. Um, because as you know, it is, it's, it's a lot about other things other than just music, um, in terms of the, the day-to-day running and the, and the, um, how the job is, 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 uh, what am I trying to say? Offset between music and other, other issues and, and things that have to be sorted out. And dealt yeah. With. There's, there's a lot of people management and, and that's all the word people things. management. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying. <laughs> Uh, if someone is listening to this who thinks they'd be interested in working as an, an orchestrator, can you just explain a little bit about how the business side of things work? Um, for example, I know that you're represented by an agency. How important is that? And what's the process, even from maybe the early stages of getting started in being hired for projects through to the level you're now working at where you, you're represented by an agent? And h- how does the work come in for you? And, and how do you choose which stuff you want to work on yeah i think um i think people will have different experiences um uh but i'd say from my experience um at the start of a career um it's not essential to have representation at all i think it's uh it's all about it's all about connections with people um and the relationships you form with other people so um 
if I was to give advice to anyone just starting out, it would be to basically make as many connections as you possibly can. Um, whether that's through networking opportunities or just putting yourself out there or just reaching out to people and, and contacting them. I think even with representation, I find that that people would still would still come directly to me um, or either through past connections that we've ha- we've had together or projects that we've worked on or um, a recommendation. I think a, a lot of times projects will be on the recommendation from somebody else or um, someone's asked for a recommendation and, and, and they've recommended me or, or whoever. So yeah, I think, I think it, it, it works on, it works in, in, in multiple ways, but I'd say that a lot of times it's, it's about, it's about the personal connection, um, and being a, being a nice person and, and people wanting to work with you. I think it, 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 it's kind of, it goes without saying, but it's, it, this is all about people and, and, um, working with, with people. So yeah. Yeah. That's a recurring theme that's come up in in these conversations that i've had so far i think it's you know most musicians that i talk to now recognize or or understand that that is that is key to a successful career really isn't it it's about being being able to get on and work well with people as 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 much as it is about being great at what you do you, you have to be the sort of person people want to work with absolutely and i think it's also about understanding where you fit in the in the whole picture um certainly on a music team um there was as you know that there's there's more than often more than a few people involved in 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 a project in in terms of music so it's it's um it's it's trusting other people to 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 bring their um their enthusiasm and their and their skills to the project and um it's what i love what i love about it is the collaboration between other people and um the result is always greater than something that you'd be able to do on your own. And I think that's, um, that's something always, I always come back to is that we're, we're working towards a a common end point and um, it's the contribution of everyone involved that, that ultimately will, will, um, will be the thing that is seen and heard by other people. Yeah. Your move from being an MD then into deciding to focus purely on this side of the industry is that then what led to you becoming an associate orchestrator or were you already doing bits and pieces before you, you made that decision? Um, I think it was around about the same time that I decided to, um, to, to stop, um, MDing stuff. And I, and, and for, for, for a while after that, I was, I was asked, uh, about MDing and, 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 and there'd be opportunities that would come along and I would just say, okay, well, um, I'm going to actively, um, you know, say thank you very much, but actually, I'm I'm now concentrating on this, and this this is what I'm going to try and pursue for the, um, uh, you know, in in the years and and the months and years ahead. So yeah, I did. It was an active um, decision, and and yeah, another piece of advice I would give is that um, in an associate position, um, I feel like you can learn um so much um from f- you know from those creatives who who have been doing it for for much longer and have a huge amount of experience and um yeah i i feel like that was um that was a really amazing opportunity to um to work underneath somebody else um and actually to be fair and honest to to work on projects that i would never be able to work on at that time had it not been for um you know in an associate position as, as it were yeah and how did those come about um because i know that you were associate orchestrator for funny girl for example which was a, yeah. a major production how, how did you end up in that role at a relatively young age 
Yeah. So, um, so Chris Walker, who's the orchestrator, um, uh, he has really been a mentor to me in terms of the, in, in the theatre and I, you know, it's, he's someone I've looked up to for a very, very long time. And he's obviously a giant in, in, in this industry. Um, and we've, we've worked together for, for a number of years now. So it was, um, I actually, I, my partner, um, was working on a production of, um, the sound of music at Regent's park. This is, this is going back, um, uh, a number of years. And, um, Chris was actually orchestrating that production. Um, and they got chatting, you know, about, I think it was at, you know, one day in rehearsals or something, they just got chatting. And, um, uh, he mentioned that, 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 that this is something that I was you know, really interested in and was looking to, um, to kind of develop my career. And so I just emailed Chris, um, and, you know, and said, this is me and I, I'm looking to, to gain more experience. Do you have any advice? Um, it, I was just asking for advice really. Um, I wasn't asking for a job. I wasn't asking for, uh, for anything other than just, could you give me some advice? Cause I'm just starting out. And, um, and I mean, that relationship has lasted, you know, many, many years. And I've worked on, um, a number of, of projects with Chris. Um, uh, and I've just learned a huge amount from, from working with someone, as I say, who is a master at what they do and, um, was so generous to kind of let me in and see the process. And, um, the biggest compliment I guess for me is to have charts in, in all of those shows, but they sit alongside his and, and hopefully you'd never know that they were not him. And I think for me, that's the greatest honor to, to be, um, to be trusted with, with, with stuff in, you know, with musical content in those shows. Um, uh, yeah, that's a huge yeah. honor. What, and thrill what a me. great way to look at it and to, you know, to see your, your own work alongside someone who's, you know, essentially an, an idol of yours. And I don't know if you found this, it sounds like you've had this experience, but, um, I've found certainly a lot of the time that the most successful people are often the most generous with, with, you know, looking out for the next generation and, um, being able to sort of take someone under their wing and, and really, uh, generous with their time, but also just opening up, opening up opportunities to, to young people coming into the industry. Absolutely. I think, um, I think no one should ever be afraid of reaching out to anybody, um, even if it's just to say hi and, and asking for advice. Cause I think people, um, more often than not are more than happy to, to, to give their time, um, to answer any questions or anything like that. So I really think it's, um, uh, people shouldn't be scared to reach out to, to people they admire and, um, other people working and, um, yeah. And just, you've got nothing to lose if, you know, if you reach out and people don't respond then they don't respond then you've not lost anything, you know, it's, um, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, just coming back to the business side of things, do you, do you find that you've constantly got something, you know, relatively substantial that you're working on at, at any one time? And do you find that these projects, I guess they vary depending on the, the size of what it is that you're working on, but it, is a lot of it royalty based or do you, is it a buyout type of thing? How does it work from the business end of it? Yeah. Um, again, it depends on the project. Um, if it's a kind of one-off um, style project or if it's for a recording session or if it's for um a series of live uh, of live concerts then more often than not it will just be a fee to do the work um yeah. almost like as as hire like um you know a musician for hire as as it would be if you were playing on one of those sessions you yeah. would you would get a payment to play and then and then that would be it there, there's no um ongoing um 
uh, royalty or or anything like that. So um, a lot of the concert stuff um, is is that all kind of um, adaptations or uh, arrangements of um, in the kind of pop world is very much just um, yeah that's the job and there and there it is. And then the theatre stuff is. Um, generally is royalty based um again i guess it depends on the level of the project so when i was just starting out um i graduated in 2014 so i I, but whilst i was at um university i just immersed myself in a lot of fringe theater in london a lot of it kind of any opportunities i'm playing for cabarets and arranging for um you know friends who were doing a a cabaret slot somewhere you know just just immersing myself so at the at the start um in terms of london fringe it again it would just be um well you'd, you'd hope that there'd be some some kind of payment it's obviously not going to be huge amounts of money but i think that's another thing i um i take a moment to to look at that end of of of, of things when i just graduated and actually you know if you have a passion for doing it you're going to do it it doesn't really matter so i i found that immersing myself and throwing myself and saying yes to everything was actually a really beneficial thing even if it wasn't the best amount of money um or you know it it didn't have a longevity in terms of it was gonna run and run for years and years because these fringe things are they're very you know time limited as you know that they just happen and, and that's that but i found that just saying yes to lots of things and um I guess you could say learning as you go along, because obviously there's things that you that you learn on the job that that you're never going to be told in a college or university or on an online course or on YouTube. These are things that you you learn because you're in the room at that moment in time, and you and you make mistakes and you learn from those mistakes. So I think I did a lot of mistake learning um, when I just kind of graduated from, yeah. from university. Yeah, um, that's so true with with so much of of what you know we do as musicians or or composers, I suppose as well, orchestrators, anyone in this business. There's only so much you can really learn at an academic level, but until you get out there and actually start doing it for yourself, that's where the the curve sort of becomes exponential in what you learn. And as you say, so much of it does come through mistakes or or bad judgments. Um, and I guess. As an orchestrator, similar to being an MD, really, you you need a really varied toolbox for very different projects. And there's not really, it's a very difficult thing to teach someone how to do the job as a whole without actually getting out there and, and learning from different aspects of Completely. the industry. Completely, yeah. And I think actually um, having had some experience in that position in the room as a musical director, I think has actually aided my work now because I know... I know certain things about the process that you wouldn't know otherwise if you weren't in that position. So for example, um, if you're playing the keyboard and conducting at the same time, there's certain things that you, in terms of hands being free for things, it's, it's those elements that, um, no one's going to teach you that, but it's, but it's having been in that position and going, Oh, hang on a minute. So there's a choral section that's, that's here. And ideally you'd have, you'd have two hands available. So it's, it's, it's about distribution of, um, content somewhere else or leaving a hand free so they can press a button to press a click all those kind of things yeah. it's 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 the learning learning in the room and then taking all those experiences away and um trying to trying to put them into good use i guess yeah just just having that on your your radar and in your experiences is, is going to pay off isn't it because you're, you're going to be totally aware of it when it comes to actually writing something definitely um 
you mentioned a little bit there about having done some work in the pop world. I know you you do a lot of theatre work and that you're also involved with the the War of the Worlds tour. Um, do you find, uh, did those feel like very different worlds to you or or does it all sort of feel like it's part of the same thing? Um, certainly the War of the Worlds stuff feels part of the same thing. I think it, it, it's a theatre piece at heart. It's it's story led. It's uh, story driven. Um, it just happens to be on a on a bigger scale. Yeah. Um. So a project like that, which is the most incredible um, spectacle, um, I think I've ever seen in terms of the number of moving parts and and how it all fits together. But it is a it is fundamentally a theatre piece, and um, uh, I work on the the arena um, scale. I think they 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 did a theater theater production of, of, of the show where everything was really, um, uh, scaled right down. But, um, but yeah, I'd say projects like that where it's, um, it's a, that's effectively a rock band plus a, plus a string section. So, um, there's a lot of crossover between theater and, um, and concert for that. And then other stuff where it's, um, it's somebody's catalog of music, um, and, and they're performing a series of concerts, um, so I work with Mark Armand, um, uh, quite a bit. And, um, those are really interesting because the songs are set and the keys are this and, and, uh, his guitar player plays this and his drummer plays this and, and those elements of, of, of the arranging are fixed. So what I love about that kind of work is it's, it's, um, it's adding to, um, but it has to all fit to what's already there, if that makes sense. So yeah. it's a different, it's a different, um, I think at the beginning I said, sometimes you have control over everything and sometimes you have a control over part. And this would be an example where you have, um, you have control over part of the overall, um, uh, the, the overall sound. There's certain elements in those tracks that are iconic and this is exactly what it is. Um, yeah. and other elements you have to reconceive. So for Mark, for example, I, um, it was a case of taking his album and we were doing it live um, and working out how to do that when the tracks on the album ha- would have slightly different instrumentation or, um, you know, they're written, they're written for, for completely different forces and it's trying to find a way to standardize the lineup so it all can work. Yeah. Um, but retaining the, the kind of the essence of the, of the original sound. So less of a, a reimagining of something, but actually just trying to maybe condense it into a live setting absolutely so i'd say it's um it's a kind of hot again this is where someone says what do you do and you go oh actually it's really hard to explain but um <laughs> i'd say it's kind of transcription and adapting and and then then some arranging as well and um and kind of fleshing out um sections of, of the of the, of the music yeah um we obviously have to talk about six because it has mm. been such a massive massive success did you have any idea when you first got involved that you were onto something that was going to become as successful as it has been? Uh, absolutely zero idea. <laughs> and I was, it's so funny because I was only ever asked um, to be involved. I think it was for four, four Monday nights. And, and that was all it was ever going to be. That was all I was ever asked to be involved with. And there was no, um, th- at that point, certainly no um, promises of anything more than that. So it was effectively... Uh, I think I did it in about two and a half weeks and it was just that, you know, there's 10 songs and it's going to be for, for four Monday nights. And that's that. Um, so no, I think if I, if I did know at that point what I know now and what we all, um, 
know now about about things that 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 blow up in a way that i don't even understand how um (laughs) it would have been too much to um probably too much to deal with and actually i think the result wouldn't have been anywhere near the same because there would have been too much pressure i think that it's easy to go um uh when when there's no expectation for something it's it's easier to do to not have the pressure on you to to be able to achieve um, something at, at a certain level, but now I'd say if I was if I if I knew what was happening to it now when I when I started, it would have been a completely different experience for me. I think. Yeah, it, I mean the success is just incredible, and and something that I find really um, amazing about the whole thing is that the whole creative team are very young and have all been involved with it from you know mostly involved with it from the very start. When it, yeah, did it start? It was a university production, is that right? It was a university production. Um, for the Cambridge um, University Musical Theatre Society. And they took it to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Um, and that's where it got its very, 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 very first outing um, on, a, on a student budget, you, you know, um, student driven effectively. And then that's where it was um, scouted. And and then I got involved in between that production and these four Monday nights that I mentioned. So. Right. Um, I feel like I've not been there from the very, very beginning, but but I've been there from the beginning of its professional yeah. um, incarnation where producers got attached to it and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel very fortunate to be involved. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And and how involved are you in other aspects of the production? We talked a little bit about sound design, but in terms of things like vocal arrangements or the the cast album um i mean for example did the cast album have an augmented orchestration were you able to add a bit more for that for recording purposes yeah we were very fortunate that um that our producers allowed us to basically kind of go to town on 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 the album to make it a definitive this is this is what the album version will be so yeah we we got well i got the opportunity to add uh you know, full horn sections, strings, um, just other elements that that um, we just aren't able to do um, in, in in the context of the theatre show where there's musicians on stage and they're they're in they're visible and all this kind of thing. So yeah, we got um, and we did that in between um, the these four Monday nights and the first um, mounted production, which we did did in Norwich of twenty eighteen. Um, how long do you would you typically or how long do you think you spent on the orchestrations for that show uh, <laughs> i mean it's it's a constantly um evolving process so i mean in terms of the the orchestrations for the for the show i i did the very initial um the very first draft versions in i think it was about two and a half weeks so it was literally flat out because th- that was the pocket of time um, but 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 since then it's been a constant um, evolution and chiseling away and refining and working out exactly what should be there and I think by the time we got to the album we were in a pretty good place where it was everything was there for a reason and um, everything could be justified every decision that was made musically could be justified um, uh, yeah and but it's just it's just constantly evolving so even recently when we managed to to briefly get open again at the end of 2020 before everything got um closed again we were still tweaking and um i guess it's having the opportunity to to do that and um working with people and creatives who are also continuously uh tightening the bolts on everything so um 
it can be the best it can possibly be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, I was going to ask you that actually, um, obviously not at the moment given the current circumstances, but in general, would you, would you still be going in and watching the show regularly and, and tweaking it every time you watch it or how, how often are you involved in, in doing things like that? Yeah, generally I would, I would, um, I would go in for a show watch, um, every now and again, and I would just do notes for the musicians, um, and pass those through, um, Joe, who's our music supervisor to, to pass on to the band. Um, but generally there's, it, it, um, the growth of the show has been so rapid that there have been multiple productions cropping up, um, in various different territories. So it has been that thing of not all of our team are able to go to every single one of these. So that's why there's, there's an amazing, um, team of associate um choreographers and directors and and designers who are able to fulfill the vision um in these other places where we're not able to to get to but obviously now no one's able to do anything because it's all um sadly uh stopped for the for the moment anyway yeah you were nominated for an olivier award for your work on six and how old were you at the time when that happened uh 27 i think yeah. I mean, you must be one of the youngest orchestrators to be nominated for such a big, a big award. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess so. I haven't really thought about that, but yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. And you talked a bit about, uh, had you known the success that Six was going to have when you started out, you know, it maybe wouldn't have evolved the way that it did. Do you now feel any pressure, um, you know, with, with the success that you've had with it and having that nomination, to the, your career going forward does that add pressure to what you do i think it's certainly um yes i think it certainly does um i think with everybody there's um there's an expectation that um if you produce something and people like it and it gets recognition in a certain way that it's almost what's going to happen next certainly for toby and lucy um who wrote it um there must be a huge amount of pressure to um and it sounds stupid, but like not to disappoint anybody, but obviously it's not going to disappoint anybody no matter what happens with, with, with projects in the future. But I think that there, there is a, a level of, because um, things have blown up in a certain way and this album has been streamed everywhere and, and, and by so many people that, that, that people are expecting a certain level of something in the future. Yeah. And I think the, the downside of that for me, I think would be that, um, in terms of pigeonholing it, 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 it might, um, it might restrict what people think I'm able to do. If that makes sense. It's, it's, yeah. it's bizarre. Maybe it's just me, um, the way I'm thinking about it. No, but- I know. I know what you mean. Do you think that like in an ideal world then for your next big project like that, would you love to do something completely different? That's maybe much more orchestral rather than based in pop. Absolutely. I think it's, um, I kind of feel like I've been working on six for so long, even though it hasn't been every single day, but there's just been so many, um, uh, ancillary things that need sorting out with that show, whether it's, um, promotional performances or, um, recently, um, uh, it's involved in this radio Two um, concert at the end of January. So there's just been work, um, to sort, to sort out for that. So that is, it's just a constant, um, uh, emails for requests for, for, for this, that, and the other. So yeah, it, it has felt like I've, it's all I've been doing. So I joked to someone the other day that I'm just looking forward to, um, to playing with real acoustic instruments again, um, after so long in the kind of digital world and, um, sound design hybrid crossover 
land that that, yeah. that, that, that six inhabits. So yeah, I'm looking forward to um, when everybody, when the theatres can open again to, to um, and I'm, I'm actually working on a, um, a show called Identical, which is hopefully going to be, for me, that's going to satisfy uh, moving away from the electronic world and it's going to be back to, to a, you know, acoustic instruments and in, in inverted commas. Yeah, nice. And what's, what stage is that at, at the moment? Um, so that should have had a production actually, but obviously um, it's, uh, it was all postponed a year. So um, right. it's, it's on its way to, to, to a production, which will hopefully be in July this year, um, pending all the restrictions and, and, yeah. and all that lifting. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and is there a dream job for you if you could be doing working on absolutely anything right now? What what is it? Oh gosh! Um, for a few years now, I, I've always wanted to. Well, I've, I, I've kind of said, oh, if if there's something I'd love to do, what would it be? And I think it would be to work on a movie musical. I'd love to 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 have an opportunity to to kind of bridge the gap between the theatre stuff and 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 the film and i think um uh, uh, a movie musical would be really cool so yeah i'm gonna say that i'd love to love to work on a movie musical <laughs> yeah amazing i don't imagine you'd have problems with budgets and stuff there you'd have anything you needed at yeah. your disposal. <laughs> yeah I, I guess so <laughs> um i noticed that you on your website you have some plugins for sibelius um that, that you mm. worked on could you just talk to us a little bit about about what those are and and how you got involved in creating them? Yeah, so um, ironically, that plugin is now kind of void because the the latest update of Sibelius actually uh, fixes the or solves the problem that that, that <laughs> plugin was was uh, uh, created to to overcome. But yeah, um, that came out of a um, a frustration that there was no easy way to. Um, to get the routining of a piano vocal score into a score, uh, full score template. So as you know, more often than not, an arranger would arrange the music for, for the piano and, and the voices. And, and then those files would then be sent to an orchestrator. But um, this is going back a few years now, but at that point, there was no real easy way of, of, um, of getting the contents of that piano vocal score into a orchestrator's template. Right. Um, uh, and I'm talking not just the, the actual contents, but the structure of the bars and all of the um, rehearsal marks and the tempo information and just everything that made up the the, the, the skeleton structure of, of, of the piano vocal score. Um, and there were various hacks and workarounds, but it was just really laborious. And, and the, the cleanest way would be to basically re-input all of the barring of, um, of the piano vocal score into the new template. So I said to... A colleague, there has to be an easy way to do this. There has to be a, a process where Sibelius can extract all of that information and then basically impose it into a template. And so I spent about four weeks um, in between other bits and bobs, like looking at the manual on how to, because you can write code for Sibelius. That there, there's this language called manuscript where you can, you can effectively create your own plugins. So I spent a month um, reading this manual and by trial and error, trying to work out a way of effectively being able to extract this and, and then paste it into, into another file um, and managed to get it to work and then shared it with a group of colleagues. And they were like, Oh my gosh, this is going to save us so much time. And then before, before I knew it, um, 
kind of major Hollywood orchestrators were using this and they were like, it's saving me so much time. And I'm like, okay, this, well, yeah, obviously people, people want it. So it then got um, released on the Sibelius kind of plugin forum and saying that this, this is an, an, a, a plugin that achieves this. And then I think, yeah, a few months ago now they've, they've just officially kind of incorporated that feature set into the new version. It's not exactly the way that this plugin was doing it. It's, it's a better way uh, frankly, right. but yeah, they've, they've now solved that problem. So you can now basically open a Sibelius file inside another Sibelius file and it will extract all of that information I talked about um, straight into the new blank file. Yeah. So just to finish up then, if you could give uh, a single piece of advice to either your younger self or someone like you at a young age looking to start out in a career doing what you do, what would it be? Um. It would be to immerse myself um, in as much music making as is possible. Um, and I think I kind of did that, but I think I probably could have done more. Um, I think the experience of playing in an orchestra um, was really valuable. Um, uh, I played percussion and stuff in, in the orchestra. So I think to be a part of the music making process, but but also I think regardless of what music career path you go down i think it's it's that thing of making music with other people which, which is why we do what we do so i think the as to do as much of that as you possibly can um and yeah i'd say never be afraid to reach out and contact people you admire and um ask for advice um help or or anything just just um when you're starting out i think it's i don't think enough people do it necessarily so i think people should reach out to to people and uh and do that yeah i think a lot of people are are daunted by it because they see these people as major influences and i think it's also difficult sometimes to gauge the either the language or or the formality of how to do it and it's a it's a bit of a tightrope walk in not sounding too desperate or you know to, to flatter someone too much but just i think being completely honest about it and as you say reach out to someone and just say, do you have any advice for me? And, and the things that can lead from that are sometimes, you know, life-changing. I think that's right. I think if, if you, if you approach it, not wanting anything from it, I think that will, that certainly be my experience. Um, asking someone for their advice um, is different to saying, please give me a job. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah. but, but actually um, it, again, it's about the connections you make with people and, um, and and some of those connections have uh, 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 you know have um really been influential in in into kind of where where I've got to now so so yeah I'm very I'd I'd encourage people to 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 reach out to people more um for advice yeah um is there a memorable or single pivotal moment in your career that you think everything changed from that moment or just one one thing that really stands out that you you would never forget I don't think there's one specific moment. Um, I think when you, when you take a moment to, to stop and look in reverse at, at, at what you've achieved um, and what you've been involved with o- o- over a period of years, I think it's amazing that um, there are lots of small things that, that obviously accumulate. Um, so I said, there's not one specific thing. I guess maybe the BBC, um, composers competition just because that was a moment when i thought oh actually maybe i could do music um as a career rather Mm. than doing kind of stage lighting which 
I have to say I would still love to do, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah, I think that was a moment where I was, um, I convinced myself that it was possible and, and perhaps viable to, to, to feel confident in that decision to, to pursue it. Yeah. Um, and do you have any recommendations for anyone who's listening? And it doesn't even have to relate to music, just something that's been important in your life or that you get a lot of value from. It could be movies, it could be books, it could be, I don't know, some sort of exercise that you do, anything at all. Um, yeah, I was just trying to think about this. Um, the last film I watched was Soul, the Disney Pixar oh, yeah. Um, and I found that really uh, amazing, actually, the, especially the, from a music point of view, because it's about, um, have you seen it? I have, yeah. Have you seen the, the special features that go along with it? Oh, no. no. You need to watch all the behind the scenes stuff about how they, particularly the music side of things, it's incredible. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I'll check that out. Um, but I just found the, the um, I found the balance of, of the two music styles, the kind of the electronic stuff and the jazz stuff to be really effective and um uh, you know, Trent Reza and Atticus uh, Ross from Nine Inch Nails did the, did the electronic stuff. And um, it's that clever thing of how to make it sound timeless. Uh, it's certainly that the electronic stuff and, and you go and listen to the soundtrack and it is, it's like, it doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't sound eighties. It doesn't sound, it just sounds like it's its own thing. And I think that is really clever. And um, uh, yeah, I just love the, um, I love the musical dialogue between that world and the jazz world. Um, and the kind of the meaning behind that whole film, I found really interesting how um, we don't realize what we're doing until we, until we see it from a different perspective. I think that's yeah. just a really uh, interesting concept, certainly in what we do as musicians. Yeah. Um, you should definitely check out the special features in that case, because a big part of it is looking at the two sonic worlds of that film and how they created them both independently of, of of each other and then brought them together in the movie it's it's really fascinating amazing i'll check that out then thanks for that recommendation yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and finally where can people find you online if they if they want to know more about you or perhaps you know follow you on social media or anything yeah i'm on uh twitter um uh, tom current underscore music and i think that's the same on instagram as well at tom current underscore music um i don't use them very much but but I'm on them. So yeah, cool. that's <laughs> where you can find me. Amazing. Tom, that's been so, so interesting. Um, we covered a load of stuff there um, and I'm sure people will get loads of value from it. Um, thanks again for taking the time to do it. It's, it's been great. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. My thanks once again to Tom Curran and if you haven't heard any of his work already I can highly recommend checking out the cast album of Six. Don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode you can subscribe to the podcast to receive the latest episodes as soon as they become available. Each week I'll be chatting to a different professional musician about their career so far and I have a varied list of interesting people coming up in the next few weeks. The best way to support the podcast is to share it with your friends in order to spread the word. So any retweets or sharing with your Facebook friends is hugely appreciated. Until next time, thanks for listening and have a great week. (laughs) 